Welcome to the Total Car Score podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. Well, welcome back to the Total Car Score podcast with Carl Brower and Lauren Fix. And uh, the good news is that we are together in the same city for the first time since the pandemic started, like back in March. The bad news, we can still can be together to record the podcast because of restrictions here at the hotel, which, I mean, it's really funny, but it's it's what it is, right? Uh, Lauren, how are you? I'm doing good. I mean, it, it's great to see people face to face and get the opportunity to drive some of the cars for North American Car Truck and Utility of the Year. And uh, since Carl comes from California, it's nice to see him. Yeah, Carl, uh, we haven't seen you in person again, like, again, I think like even longer than March. I don't, I don't remember. Honestly, but it was nice to see you here today in person. Yeah, I was glad I was able to make the trip. You know, uh, it was kind of, kind of novel. You know, it's like, wow, airplanes and, you know, altitude and, you know, the, the drone of the jet engine, you know, uh, you wouldn't have necessarily thought you'd ever miss the uh, flying uh, drudgery. But uh, I was kind of nostalgic as I was uh, flying today. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. It's not the same, I have to say, for those who have, have not traveled in these uh, times. Still, the airports are like, at, at least in, in my case, the airports are like a 20% of capacity, but the, the flights are 100% of capacity because there are much fewer flights and they're selling every seat, at least on American. That was my experience. Miami, Charlotte, Charlotte, Detroit, every seat taken. I don't know what was uh, your experience for both of you, Carl. Yeah, it was the middle seat, you know, not used. And then in first class, just, you know, there's where there's two seats per row, only one person allowed. So it feels like a somewhat empty flight for that reason alone. Uh, and then there were, you know, on one of my flights, I had the whole row to myself. So, uh, but I think you're right, Javier. It's all like the time of day and or the cities you're going between because there are not as many flights. My flight options and choices I've, I've definitely noticed are restricted. So you got smaller number of people flying in a fewer number of flights, which ends up being still, you know, somewhat crowded potentially. Yeah, and Laurie, you came just from Buffalo, so you're, it was like a very long flight, right? Like how long, like a couple hours, less than that? No, 45 minutes. I mean, I could drive it in five hours if I could go through Canada, but I can't do that. So I flew in, and uh, what was interesting, I think, was that it was a full flight, absolutely full, first class, uh, loaded in, and then all, it just filled the plane. There wasn't a place to put luggage in the overhead. So I think the fact that they've cut down flights, but there's very few flights to LaGuardia and to Atlanta. So I, I think they cut them down to make them more packed, which is good from a financial standpoint. We declared that this is the new normal then, like uh, these kind of flights, these kind of uh, dinners and uh, room service. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, this is better not be. I think it's, if it's if it's if anything, it's the new abnormal. I'll, I'll say that about it. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping that it uh, goes back to um, you know, a world where not everyone is frightened of uh, the possible germs floating through the air that they don't want to be near anyone or have a mask on, not on their face. Let's hope we get there. So we're here in Ann Arbor for the annual test drive for the North American Car, Utility Vehicle and Truck of the Year semifinalist drive. So a lot of cars to drive or vehicles to drive. I think the list includes 27. There are a few cars that aren't here. But uh, before we start talking about the cars, we're going to take a minute to remember one of our colleagues we lost uh, actually just right before we started this event, John Lamwa, a veteran from the industry and everybody has been, uh, I mean, like 
not shocked because sadly he was sick for a long time, but everybody's remember him as a true legend of the industry, right? Carl, I think since he lived in California, you were closer in person with him than the rest of us. Yeah, and you know, uh, road and track, which many people would think of as kind of a fixture of this industry, given how long it's been around and the level of influence it had. And John Lamb was a fixture of road and track and a very talented photographer, a lot of the really fabulous photos that you saw in road and track. And he also worked for other magazines, car and driver and some of the others. He's got, he's had shots everywhere, but his primary outlet was road and track. And you saw a lot of great photography, cover photography and all throughout that. But he could also write and he would write stories as well. And he had some interesting uh, projects he did, you know, Phil Hill, one of the most famous American uh, race drivers, uh, F1 champion. Um, he and John produced multiple books together uh, back in like the 90s and the early 2000s about uh, Phil's history, racing history. And again, lots of really great imagery. And, um, you know, John was kind of the one who wrote the book, but he talked to Phil and they were friends and was able to get all the stories out of Phil and then you know, translate them into really interesting, uh, interesting read and books. So John, you know, kind of was like, like we're all saying, you know, a, a longstanding, well-known, highly respected, very talented member of the automotive journalism community for really decades. So it's a, it's everyone knew him and uh, it's a big hit to lose him. Yeah. It's very sad. I mean, he showed me some photos that he had taken with Carol Shelby back in the day. I mean, he's done tons of books, including, you know, 365 sports cars you must drive. And, you know, he worked for automobile as well. And he loved racing. You'd always see him involved in the collector community. I'd always see him at Pebble Beach or Amelia Island. He was very passionate. And as, you know, as a juror, he was always a wonderful person to talk to. He always had a great story and, and he'll be missed. He'll be very much missed. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say that I, I know him, obviously, and I, I talked to him several times. We shared some stories. He was he always had a story to, to, to say at either at, at the drive or at dinner or like when we're having a little drink or something like that. And I have to say he's one of those persons as, as much as experience that he had and all the respect that he accumulated over the years. He was very humble. Like he will talk to you as an equal every time like people. Like, for example, when I started in this industry, I didn't know much uh, about it or, like, didn't know many people. He was always a really, really gentleman and, like, a really nice person. And it's I, I knew that he was sick, but then, like, I some of our colleagues just talked to him, like, last week. So it was kind of sudden, so, but pretty sad moment. But, I mean, we're going to remember him, obviously, and miss him a lot. Yeah, he left his mark for sure on the industry, and uh, there's, you know, he won't, he won't be forgotten. Just, I mean, he's got, a, like Lauren said, he's got a lot of books, a lot of photo credits across a lot of publications over decades. So uh, he'll, uh, his, his memory and his uh, legacy of the, the work he did in this industry will be around really forever. Well, so we are a little uh, tribute to him. We're going to dedicate this uh, podcast to him and like think about him while we're doing this. We're going to do the whole show about the, the cars, the semifinalists for the three categories. So we have uh, the car of the year, utility vehicle of the year, and truck of the year. So we're going to start backwards with truck of the year because there are only four candidates, the Ford F-150, the Ford Super Duty, the Jeep Gladiator Mojave, and the Ram 1500 TRX, which uh, I think everybody was excited to start with TRX uh, this morning here. So uh, do you have any experience with it already, Carl? Yeah, I was fortunate to get a, uh, a drive in it and, you know, 
kind of close to my heart because a lot of the uh, basic drivetrain components that are in that vehicle, in that uh, super-powered truck, are also in all the um, Challengers and Charger Hellcats, and of course the Demon, like uh, that I have back in my garage. So there's a lot of a lot of uh, familial blood that uh, is shared between the TRX and the Demon, and um, I think it's long overdue that we have a uh, not a, a non-Ford high-powered truck. Ford's owned that market for the most part for the past like 15 years with the Raptor. And it was really high time for us to get into something that uh, had competition for Ford that was also this high-powered, you know, 702 horsepower supercharged Hemi V8 truck with all sorts of advanced technology. And I talked to the guy who designed it and he talked about how, you know, it's not just an engine. They didn't just, you know, drop in an engine and call it a day. There's reinforcements all through the chassis. There's all sorts of advanced suspension. So it can do a high speed kind of desert running similar to the Raptor from Ford. So um, it was hard to really experience all the things the truck's capable of in this in this driving environment here for, for the Nactoy drives. But um, I was glad I was able to do what I did do in it. Just uh, tie, trying it around some corners, trying some full throttle blasts on the pavement. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and uh, that's also the case for the Gladiator Mojave. Uh, I don't know, Lauren, if you got into it today, but even if you did, I don't think you would have been able to really use it as it was intended uh, to drive. No, I would love to. We have to figure out a component for that. We'll have to talk to the powers that be to have an off-road component. I was just thinking about that and driving the Bronco and all that. We'll talk about that in the in the next segment. But, you know, I thought to myself, geez, if we had a chance to drive the Gladiator Mojave, the way it was meant to be driven. I know there was a drive event. We we would be, everyone would be standing in line for it because it'd be so much fun. I mean, Jeeps are really known for off-road capability, but you know, it, you know, when you look at the competition, it, it's a tough category. I mean, usually there's one that stands out and, and it's, it's going to be difficult considering, you know, everybody stepped up their game. I thought you were going to say we, we will have been uh, lined up at the police station for like speeding or yeah, doing maybe. something. Like, yeah. yeah, so the, the other two candidates is the Ford F-150, which is not here yet. We're going to have a chance to drive it later this year. And the Ford Super Duty, which is the higher level of the F-series uh, category. So we'll see what happens there when we complete all the test drives and uh, for now we are at the end of this first segment and we're going to be back with the uh, utility vehicle of the year and car of the year when we come back Score podcast where Carl Brower and Lauren Fix and uh, we're talking about all the semi-finalists for the 2021 North American Car Utility Vehicle and Truck of the Year Awards and the Utility Vehicle of the Year list is quite long, Lauren. So I don't know where you want to start to talk about. It's a big category. I mean, you're looking at like the Cadillac Escalade, uh, which not all of us have driven, but we got to test the Super Cruise, so that's an under embargo, but. Uh, Chevrolet Tahoe Suburban, Chevrolet Trailblazer, Ford Bronco Sport, highly anticipated Ford Bronco. I mean, they've real. I would say that is the most hyped vehicle for this year. Last year it was the Corvette. This year it was without question the Bronco. Um, then you get the Genesis GV80. Wow, that is a wow vehicle. They did an amazing job, and the price is super reasonable. 
We have the Hyundai Santa Fe Kia Seltos, which we all drove back in, I think it was like November or December in the Keys of Florida. Uh, Kia Sorento Land Rover Defender, also very highly anticipated. It was the James Bond vehicle of all the bad guys got to drive that. Uh, Mazda CX-30, I think we drove that also back in the fall. Nissan Rogue, Toyota RAV4 Prime, Toyota Venza, and Volvo XC40 P8 Recharge. I mean, I, right off the top, I, I can think of, you know, three or four vehicles that I think really stand out in the crowd. Yeah, 15 vehicles in total there. And I have to say, we cannot say how it drives or how we like it and all that. But I can tell you, we took two of them of them around here. And, like, we were stopped every corner with a Bronco. Everyone, is that the new Bronco? Is that, like, when is coming out? Like, can I see it? Like, everybody's super excited. I don't know if you had the same experience, Carl. I, it's funny, I didn't. I was driving it and I was wondering if uh, how many people were going to be freaking out on it and all. But uh, I did. I took a loop that took me out kind of in the middle of nowhere. And for the most part, I was on my own. And it was pretty impressive. I mean, I don't know, you know, I guess we can't really talk about it, but it's an impressive vehicle. And uh, I'm waiting for the kind of, you know, because this, this is really the Bronco Sport we're driving right now. And then there's the Bronco, which is the even more extreme capability one that we haven't driven yet. Um, but I think both of them are going to cause quite a stir in the, uh, in the industry this year. And as you said, Lauren, they're highly anticipated. I think the, um, the GV80 from uh, Genesis was, uh, you know, really not a surprise because I drove the G80, the non SUV, the, the luxury sedan last week, and it was impressive. So it didn't really surprise me, but again, I was impressed by the GV80, the SUV version of essentially the same vehicle. Um, and then, you know, the recharge, that Volvo recharge, you know, again, you got to love the instant torque of electric motors. So that thing is really quick. Uh, I mean, faster than I expected it to be, even knowing it was going to be an EV going in. Did you notice the brakes were super touchy on that recharge? You got to get used to that regen. Wow. At first it just throws you right through the windshield until you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and, uh, I think, I think that's something that probably everyone will have to do, you know, it's kind of like when you have a hybrid there, they often have uneven brake feel too. So you had to kind of reacclimate. Uh, but the, the horsepower is really impressive. And, you know, the XC40 generally, I think is a well-executed vehicle. So to have an EV version of it, I think that'll be, you know, resonate with people who are looking for a small utility vehicle that also happens to be a pure EV. And, you know, then the other one that I think is, is interesting is, you know, yeah, the, the Escalade with the new super cruise capability. Um, it's, you know, another impressive type of technology. But um, I don't know. One thing I would say about the Escalade is that uh, when you get in it, it's still, you know, Lincoln really elevated uh, the category of luxury cars and SUVs, especially the Navigator on the interior kind of plushness. And I get in the Escalade and I think it's pretty advanced on a technological level, but I just, I don't feel special enough in that car. I feel like if I'm paying that kind of money with that kind of a brand on the outside, I should be sitting in an interior that's got me extremely, you know, impressed by the luxury uh, atmosphere around me. And the Navigator does that, the, the brand new Escalade, it's not living up to that in my mind. I think I think it does it for the driver, because if you count the mirror with the new ca camera capability, you have like, I think, four <laughs> big screens in front of you, which can be distracted also. But I think you're right. I think the, the, the main two screens in front of you the one that is on the side, I think they're pretty impressive. I think it's the first curved uh, screen for a, for a vehicle, uh, and it's pretty nice. But yeah, the rest, um, some of the materials are, are good, but they're not like as impressive as other vehicles. 
So what stands out the best? What's what's your thoughts, Javier? What's what if you had to pick three? Pick three that you think these are going to be finalists. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, I think the um, GV80. I mean, we talk in the past uh, in this show about how Genesis, Hyundai, Kia are doing it like so well, and that car is like executed completely. I mean, like from for any angle you see. Like for example, today. Uh, I saw it like sideways and it has a big chrome uh, insert uh, on the doors, over the doors on the lower part of it. And it really like initially will say like, wait, let's put a big piece of chrome uh, across both doors of the car. You will think just that description probably will set people off like, like what? If that's a luxury wheel, you put a big piece of chrome. And then when you see it moving and like on, on, on the road and everything, I think it's like, it looks so beautiful. The screen, all I mean, the screen, no, the grill also is like huge in for some people maybe, but I think it the, the balance, the whole package is so well executed from every angle. And then like uh, I think I was walking with you, Lauren, uh, uh, around it uh, with the two lights across the the two lines across the front lights and the back lights, and also on, yeah, it, it's like such a simple thing, but it's like so nicely done. And then as Carl was saying, the interior is perfect. You, you feel you are in a luxury car. The new um, controls for both the transmission and the multimedia system, everything is like really, really well done. So I'm going to say the GV80. I'm going to say that I like the Defender. Again, we didn't really have the chance to drive the Defender as it was it's supposed to do. But I think I really like it. Like I, There's a lot of details there, design details that are really, really nice. I, I like how the cabin is in a, in a way very minimalistic but also has like everything you need like right there kind of easy to to learn about and then i have to say the nissan rogue uh one of the well it's now the most sold vehicle for nissan here in the u.s they really elevated the game with that car i mean like the interior also is i mean it's not a luxury car but you take some pictures and compare to some true quote-unquote luxury brands and you say like what which is which well, yeah, it's true. I, I think it's a, some good product in this mix. And it seems like typically with 50 jurors all making, and we're all from North America, we all have different opinions. And so that's what's good when you divide up your votes. It's not like you get one vote for each. And I think that's a big thing. So when you get like 25 points and you have to mix them up a certain way, you can put as many votes as you want. I really, truly believe that Genesis GV80 is an amazing package, both inside and outside. There's a few minor things I noticed, but I'll tell you, coming out of the box, the first SUV from Genesis, it, it's gonna beat this. I mean, look at what happened with Palisade and Telluride. They came and hit the market so strong and the price was so reasonable. It was it was done. It was a we saw when it hit the market, we go, oh, this this is gonna cream everyone. And it did. And I think that's exactly what Genesis is gonna do again. Reasonable price all the goodies you want, three-row SUV, just really, really impressive. One thing I think that's overlooked is the Toyota Venza, I think is also a really good vehicle uh, considering its value standpoint. And, and when you get in and you start driving it, it's pretty much, you know, a, a, a Lexus. And it's got everything you might need. It's hybrid. I mean, but that's something people want. But I, I think that and Ford Bronco Sport are like the ones that really, for me, stand out. I do like the other vehicles. I love the XC40 recharge. You got to get used to it. You have to have a need for an electric vehicle. Uh, but some of the other ones, you know, they're, they're great. 
and I like the Mazda CX-30 as well. I think if you bought any of these vehicles on this finalist list, you would never go home and go, oh, I bought the wrong vehicle. I mean, yeah, there's a reason why they're final, semi-finalists. But I think uh, actually, Lauren, uh, there was a bit of controversy among the jurors because the Venza didn't make it to the semi-finalists. It was, it's a great vehicle, but like it lost by a couple of points, right, Carl? I think that was, the, that was the, what happened to it. Yeah, I mean, I think we have one here to drive still, but I don't think it uh, it made the cut. It's a shame. I think that was really great value. Yeah, that and that kind of says it all, right? The fact that the Venza didn't make the cut and it's as good as it is, that just kind of explains the whole situation really well. Um, but it, it's true. All the ones that did make the list. I mean, if you were to say, you know, Carl, you got to put money on the three cars uh, that are going to make finalist, I think I'd go Bronco, uh, GV80, and then it's a tough call for me between like Land Rover, Rogue, um, and uh, yeah, even the XC, I think might have a chance, but I think I'd probably go, uh, I'd probably go Land Rover. It's gonna be Land Rover, I'd say Land Rover or Rogue, but I'd probably have pushed, I'd probably go Land Rover for the three finalists, but I don't know. Well, it sounds to me like we may have all agreed on one vehicle. So I, I think it's gonna be, honestly, I think it's gonna be between Bronco and GV80. And that's going to be the tough call, but you're not going to be able to pick one over the other because they're both excellent. I did like the Bronco, but as Carl uh, or you learned, I don't remember who said it. Uh, this is not like the true Bronco that people are waiting for. I mean, this is nice and it has a lot of technology and uh, some of the cues, of, I mean, of the name. But the real Bronco that people are waiting for is the two-door and the four-door with those huge 35-inch wheels and all the accessories that we saw last month in Detroit. Well, you didn't, Carl, sorry. <laughs> well, Lauren and me did. <laughs> uh, and I think those are the ones that are people... So in 2022, I will put the Bronco on, the, on my finalist list, but I don't think this year will make it in my list. No, it'll be next year for the two-door, four-door. That's going to be an easy... This is going to be the hardest one to beat. That's what I think. So, well, there you go, the 15 vehicles on the list and our favorites. And uh, again, go to the website. You can... Visit our Facebook page, leave your comments, any suggestions that you have for the show or anything else or any criticism again for any of us or for, for our decisions maybe, but um, let us know. And uh, when we come back, we're going to close the show talking about the finalists, semi-finalists, again, I get confused, for the car of the year for the 2021 Nat Awards. Car utility vehicle and truck of the year in Ann Arbor, but in separate rooms because we're still under COVID restrictions here. But uh, anyway, we we got to see each other, say hello, share a drink outside under restrictions, but still in person. So let's start, uh, Lauren, with uh, the car of the year. I mean, the the list is shorter, but again, I think there are really strong uh, candidates here. Right, we have the Acura TLX, which is all new and a big improvement a new engine and everything cadillac ct4 and ct4v the genesis g80 which is the sister card to the gv80 and there's so much in common not just the look but a lot of similar components uh you've got the hyundai elantra family which includes the n-line kia k5 which i, 
I don't know why they replaced the name Optima from a brand perspective, but I like the name Optima. I thought it had great brand value. They decided to go K5 to make it a global name. The Nissan Sentra and the Polestar 2, which really caught me off guard. I drove that Polestar 2 and I thought, okay, it's another electric vehicle. We've driven a billion of them. And then I thought, wow, I got in this car and I said, wow, huge glass roof, um, like iPad Pro sized screen. Um, just the technology involved. I was impressed and I tested it. You know, I, I asked it cause it's Google assist. I, you know, Hey Google. And it, you know, it, it, and I, I asked it to tell me a joke. It even told me a story, not like Mercedes, Mercedes, Mercedes does a story. I said, uh, Hey Google, tell me a story. And she said, once upon a time, there was a protagonist and a bunch of characters, but then I woke up and it was a dream. The end. So it was kind of, I guess it could go longer, but it's sort of like when you say, hey, Mercedes, tell me a story. And, and it'll say, if you've got the, hey, Mercedes, you know, the whole uh, user experience for Mercedes Benz, it'll say, uh, here is a short story. Once upon a time, the end. So, <laughs> so it has a sense of humor. I got one from the, hey, Mercedes, when we drove it for the first time a couple of years ago. And uh, when you asked for a joke, you said, I'm sorry, I was engineered by a German. <laughs> There's no sense of humor, but I, I think as far as vehicles, um, I, I'm changing my opinion after driving a bunch of vehicles today. I'm thinking it's going to be Acura TLX, uh, Genesis G80, and Nissan Sentra. Polestar is a possibility, but I think it's going to be Nissan Sentra in there. Did you drive the Polestar, Carl? I did. I've driven the Polestar, and uh, I agree with Lauren that it's impressive. I, I love the uh, Android Auto-powered um uh, infotainment system, which is uh, one of only two. The only other one that has it is the Volvo uh, XC40 uh, that we were just talking about because surprise, surprise, they're both made by the same parent company. But um, Android Auto, and I'm an Apple guy, by the way, but Android Auto powering the um, car system is really good. It, it, great voice recognition. You can ask it very detailed things and it will give you an answer. Uh, and you can ask it to tell you jokes and all that. You know, you can just say things like, I'm hungry for Chinese food. It'll like look for local Chinese restaurants and all. So it's pretty cool stuff. You know, make the temperature 72, you know, uh, it'll just say it's temperature 72. So it's really, you know, kind of, I think the future, I think when we all talk about what we think the future will be for car control and we can just say things and it'll have very good ability to tell what we really want. And you won't have to say it in a sp specific way and use specific terms. Android auto is already a lot of the way there in these cars. Uh, so I think that's impressive. And then of course it's electric and it's fast and it has kind of a cool look to it and uh, you know, pretty comfortable seats and major safety technology. Cause again, the Polestar is a subdivision of a uh, Volvo. So Polestar is going to be cool. I think the car that probably caught me the most off guard and how good it was versus what I expected was the uh, Kia K5 uh, GT, which is the kind of perform a little more performance oriented version of the K5. Now this is their, as Lauren said, former Optima, which is their Accord and Camry competitor. So this is basically their high volume uh, sedan, which nobody buys sedans now. Everyone's forgot that that market even exists to some extent, but they still sell a lot of, of Accords and Camrys every year. And uh, Hyundai's uh, launched, or sorry, Sonata and the Kia, now K5, formerly Optima, those are still all relatively successful cars in terms of volume. And the K5, is really good. I mean, the steering feel, the throttle response, the interior design, the exterior design, the seat comfort. I am a big fan of the uh, of the K5, and I had never driven it. I think there was an event. Some other people had already been in it, but I didn't drive it till today. And um, I think that that car to me and kind of embodies what car of the year is because 
You can always think of cars that are cool or interesting or have some kind of neat tricks up their sleeves. But when I think of, I want an affordable car, really well done that appeals to a wide range of people with a wide range of uses, the K5 in right, in my opinion, embodies that right now. I agree with with that. Uh, talking about the K5, I had the opportunity to drive it before, but uh, let me before talking about other cars, let me go back to the Pulsar. I'm kind of surprised that neither of you mentioned that when you get into that car, you have your key in your hand, you don't have to start the car. You, there's not a, like a start button anymore. Like the car knows that you're ready the car, and when you put it in drive, the car turns on on itself. And then the same thing when you finish your your drive. Just put it in park and you don't have to worry about, oh, did I turn it off? Did I? Especially because in electric cars, they don't make any noise while they start. And um, that was kind of cool to me to, 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 to see, as you were saying, Carl, the, the, the future of the car is that. Like, it's going to be so seamless now, like in now, it is now, I guess, at least with this car. You just open it or get into the car and they start driving. You don't really have to think much about it. Didn't, didn't that like, didn't you like that? Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think you're right that it's, it's, you know, the seamless thing, like you said, Javier is kind of the future and we're starting to see it really come to life in these super advanced cars. Um, and I think, you know, the, the tricky thing, I always can dream up scenarios where the, you know, everything from the keyless start and keyless entry could cause a problem to, uh, no start, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I guess, I guess your cat's not going to like try to push the button, uh, the brake button and the gear lever, but you know, to think of, uh, you know, you got a heavy dog gets in the car and, and the keys and he ties the keys in his mouth and the car's like, Oh, there's somebody in the seat and the keys are in the car. Let's go. <laughs> and they're probably going to be a TikTok video about it. So like, who knows? You know, it's funny. Cause I, I, I asked Oval about that too. And I said, you know, I guess it's the same as if Carl has his keys on his desk and I pick up the key fob and I go out to the vehicle and I press the brake pedal and I start it. Well, this is the same thing. You press the brake pedal, you push back on the drive lever twice and it's engaged. And then it knows it's you. So I guess someone asked when we, we always get like previews of these vehicles. Someone said, oh, you know, what if a kid gets it? Well, kid could get your key fob too and, but, and put your foot on the brake and start it and your Hellcat, you know what I mean? So I, I think that it does require a certain amount of weight in the seat, which I find interesting. So you're not getting, you know, 40 pound kid in the seat and you know that could be dangerous but i i guess that's no different just remember that when you're done you put it in park when you close the door and you walk away with the key fob it knows and it locks the door or you can lock it yourself it's pretty cool do we want to talk a, a few minutes at least i mean i know we can do a whole show about the topic but lauren do you want to talk a little bit about those levels like why it's called level two for people who are not familiar with the, the scale or why it's called level two it's it's cool technology. We're seeing a lot of neat things. I mean, the new Super Cruise we got a chance to experience, which uh, will be coming out in uh, mid-October. I think that was impressive, but it's only level two. They're calling that level two. So you're starting to see there is no real autonomous cars. Please don't let anyone tell you that, oh yeah, Tesla has it. No, autopilot is not a true autonomous system. There is nothing out there available. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see that either, but it, it's interesting to, to watch the progression toward it. So there are five levels and like you say, we're two and like we already into the future. So what's going on there? Maybe Carl, you can tell us. Yeah, it's interesting because when you start at level zero, you know, there's literally no driver aid. So a lot of people don't realize if you have ABS, anti-lock brakes, which almost every, well, every car does have that now. They have for like two decades. 
Um, that's level one. You've got level one autonomy because there's a single system that does something to assist the driver. In this case, keep the brakes uh, from locking up or the wheels from locking up, if, no matter how, how hard you hit the brakes. So an autonomous, sorry, an ABS anti-lock brake system is level one. And then if you have two things that work together, like um, lane keeping assist and throttle control that work in coordination with each other, that's level two. So there's a fair amount of level two cars out there. Anything that's got lane keeping assist, which a lot of cars have now, and anything that's got smart cruise control, which can control the throttle and the brake, those two things combined, you're at level two. Now, like you said, Lauren, what's interesting is super cruise, it's way more than that. It doesn't just combine lane keeping assist and throttle control and brake. It you can leave your hands off the car's steering wheel indefinitely because it's got a camera in there that watches the driver. And as long as the driver's alert, it'll keep steering the car down the freeway indefinitely, also braking, and uh, it'll change lanes too. You, you can push the turn, sing, turn signal lever up or down and it'll change lanes and it'll wait for an opening to change lanes. It won't hit anyone doing it. But all of that is still considered only level two. Um, you have to get, to get to level three, you have to actually be able to completely uh, disengage from controlling the car for a certain amount of time. And you can't do that on the Cadillac. If you disengage as in fall asleep or even look away for more than five seconds, the camera inside knows you're not paying attention to the road and it disengages the, the uh, super cruise system. So there's this level two category that so many cars are in, but it ranges from a car with like smart cruise control and lane keeping assist to uh, Super Cruise, which does a lot more than just keep you in their lane and control the throttle and the brake, but it's still only level two because you can't ever completely turn over control even for a minute to the car. Level three, obviously, is when you can. You can turn over control for a limited amount of time. So even if we get to a point where a car can only do it on the freeway and it can only do it on certain freeways at certain speeds, if there's a point in time where the car can totally control everything and the driver can completely disengage and not even pay attention to the road for 30, 40 seconds, then that would be considered a level three system that it could handle everything for even a small amount of time. Level four is everything I just said, but it can do it basically indefinitely. Level four can do not just driving without any human interaction, but stopping the car, uh, parking the car. It can, it can, you could put in a nav system uh, destination and it would go through the freeway transitions, pull off the freeway, turn right, stop at the stoplights and pull into a uh, parking lot where you had directed it all on its own without any help from a human whatsoever. That would be level four. A lot of people think, well, if that's level four, how do you get to level five? The only difference between level four and level five is level five has no human controls. Level four, it could do everything we just said, but you could still take over at any time because you're still sitting in front of a steering wheel and pedals and a gear shifter. A level five car, has no human controls built into it. You literally sit into a, a, what I call them at that point, they're not a car to me, they're a transportation pod, but you literally- It's an amusement ride. Yeah, yeah. You literally get in and you could never take over no matter what, because there's no steering wheel, there's no shift lever, there are no pedals. So level five does everything and only does everything without ever having human interaction. Whereas level four can do everything on its own or the human can take over. Yeah, Lauren, you were saying like there aren't any autonomous driven cars any, still in, on the road today. And I think it's going to be a long time before if the technology might be there where there are so many issues to deal with, like legislation and infrastructure and all that. So I don't know. Do you want to add something to that? Yeah, uh, there are five reasons you're not going to see it. Number one, the government still hasn't made a decision on whether there should be pedals or not or steering wheel. And if without that, that makes it, like I said, an amusement ride at Disney or whatever. 
Um, the second thing you've got is the insurance companies and the reinsurance companies. Those are the companies that back the insurance companies. And no one wants to be responsible if there's an accident. Well, you know, I didn't do it. You didn't do it. That That's going to create even at level four a lot of issues. Uh, you've got hackers, which still to this day, there is hacking going on, not just in cars, but in everyday life. And until there's a 100% for sure firewall and 5G, there is no way that that connectivity is going to make this work. Uh, then you've got into other things that are big issues. Consumers not typically using them. I was talking to the uh, engineer from uh, Super Cruise. I said, you know, it's funny. You look at the numbers and people will buy these cars. It's, oh, it parallel parks and perpendicular for me. I got it. I got to have it. And you show your friends once or twice, but then you don't use it. And that's the problem. People buy cars that have all this great technology and only use a fraction of it. So getting consumers to use it is a big part. But the biggest factor that cannot be controlled in any way, shape or form is the weather. So we live in the Northeast or, you know, Carl lives in California, but you have rainstorms. Um, you know, Javier, you could have a, a hurricane. You could have uh, anything. You could have a, a random freak ice storm, which has happened down in Florida. And then what? Then the car's going to tell you, I'm sorry, I cannot take you to the airport. I'm sorry, my system does not work. You want to infuriate a customer, that will do it. And that will cause people to really get upset. So you need to have all of those things, all those hurdles cleared before you actually see autonomous, which is why Javier was saying, yeah, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, yeah, we're not there yet. But uh, again, going back to the Escalade Supercruise, that's very impressive. But uh, we'll have to wait a few more years to to see what's going to happen with that. I'm going to give you my favorites. And, and I cannot, honestly, I cannot go down to three at the moment. I think uh, the G80 obviously is impressive since I, I like the GV80 too. But I have to say the Acura TLX, the CT4B, and I have to go with the Nissan again because like the Nissan is the sister vehicle of the Rogue. So they're like as impressive as the as the crossover version. And the Polestar really impressed me too. Uh, I, I hadn't had a chance to, to drive it at, or to, well, I saw it in auto shows, I think last year, or the prototypes, but all the materials, all the design inside, the driving thing. And uh, what you were talking about before about the uh, regen, uh, uh, the braking, uh, one pedal driving to, to regenerate in energy. That was like really, really strong at the beginning, but there are three settings to that, so you can ad adapt it to that. So it's, I mean, it's it's really tough. The Elantra is also really nice. So I, all the candidates are really, really strong in this list. Oh, yeah. It's a really good list. And it's funny because people say, oh, no one's buying cars. Oh, yeah, they are. It You know, SUVs and crossovers are the number one segment. Uh, and, you know, trucks are still right up there and leading because the number one selling vehicle is still the F-150. But then, you know, sedans is still still a popular category and some people don't want SUVs. So you have to have something available for everybody. Well, Carl, time has gone up in this uh, broadcast. But again, we're in the same hotel in the same city. Why don't we go down and have a drink and take a picture? Maybe <laughs> since we are here together, let's go and do that and to finish the podcast. And prove that we actually see each other. Yes, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, we can prove we're, we actually sometimes are in the same place at the same time, despite uh, the last six months and what it's been like. Okay, let's go and uh, we'll see you. Uh, or we'll listen. You will listen to us uh, next week here. and We're going to have more details about the, the list. And now that's it for today. We're going to go down and take a picture together. See it in the Facebook page. Thank you for listening. 
For more, check us out online at TotalCarscore.com.